Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast presented by KFC. I'm your host, William Lou of Yahoo Sports Canada. On this week's episode, I have TSN's lead Toronto Raptors reporter, Josh Lewenberg. What's hey. happening, Will? How you doing, man? Well, apparently we're neighbors. We are, yeah. I'm just down the street. Yeah. I didn't even know you guys were, were located here. At this undisclosed location. <laughs> yes. Um, so the Raptors are on an 11-game win streak. Things are very, very good right now. I, I f- almost feel like, in a strange way, it's a lot easier to talk about the team when they have some losses in there, just because you can kind of think more critically about it. But, I mean, 11-game win streak. Uh, what has stood out to you over this 11-game win streak? Um, because, quite honestly, you know, it's not a lot to nitpick, I guess. Yeah, I, I saw, I, th- I think you tweeted it out earlier, the, the balance and the scoring, and that's sort of been the case each night. It's like a different guy is stepping up, or even Nick mentioned the other day, it's it's not even, there, it's hard to find a through line from game to game in terms of either a player or uh, a, a, a area of the game where they're just dominating night in and night out. It's like a different guy, a different thing, uh, Defense, offense, I mean, their offense has obviously been great, um, especially since they got some of those guys back, uh, Norm before the recent injury, Siakam. Um, But I I think what stands out more than anything else, and you sort of touched on it there, is the schedule. Like, they've been beating up on bad teams, which Mm -hmm. is great. I mean, that's what good teams do, and and they don't make their schedule, obviously. All you can do is, is play the teams in front of you. I think at some point, and obviously this week will be much more telling with a couple games against Indiana and then the schedule will get a little bit tougher we're gonna, we'll find out more about what this team actually is but um, I think this is a pretty encouraging stretch mm-hmm. all things considered with the injuries and the schedule being what it is yeah I mean you can really only play the teams in front of you and at least they've you know what's funny they haven't caught like I think they've made up one game on Milwaukee yeah <laughs> they had like an 11 game win streak as well I think um but, yeah, I mean, at least to sort of push them ahead to that that second seed. Uh, the news is already out. Nick Nurse is going to be coaching the uh, what team Giannis. And, you know, Kyle and Pascal will also be there. Uh, we'll see what teams are on. They're going to be drafted, I think, on Thursday night. Yep. Um, Busy day on Thursday. I was going to say, yeah, that's a weird time to schedule all they that. They did that last year, too. I think the trade deadline followed by the All-Star draft. I'm surprised that they wouldn't try and spread it out a little bit more. But, yeah. I mean, you know, the NBA loves to to have things on the Thursday to, to pair with their TNT coverage. That is true. That is true. So There's well, only so many Thursdays because you've got to announce the starters, then the next week is the reserves, yeah, and true. then the draft, and then the, the actual game. It is funny because I always prepare like, uh, this is just like inside media stuff, I always feel like prepare like uh, media coverage plans, like, you know, you pre-write, you know, Kyle Lowry's been named as a reserve. You can probably kind of this year was, that. This year was especially easy when it came to yeah, that. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, you're always writing on like, oh, yeah, and it's going to be announced on TV and you're going to watch it live and you can you can see what happens. And it's always like half an hour before just Shams or Woj or somebody would just be like, here's the full list. Spoiler alert. <laughs> just, just like you don't need to watch inside the NBA. It's always no. really funny. It reminds me of uh, during free agency when Kevin Durant was like, remember he was telling everyone to go follow the boardroom on Instagram? Yep. And then Woj was just like 10 minutes before that thing happened. He's like, you yeah, know, screw you guys. He's going to Brooklyn. <laughs> it's just... So it was very funny to me. Um, anyway, so 
this 11 game win streak, I, I think, I guess one of the more unfortunate things about it, uh, if there's anything unfortunate about 11 game win streak, is that, again, like the schedule has been really easy. So you can't really evaluate necessarily. Um, all the strengths and weaknesses of the team during I feel that like stretch. we haven't been able to evaluate their strengths and weaknesses basically at any point this year because it's either been the injuries or mm-hmm. now it's been the like a stretch of beatable <laughs> opponents <laughs> yep, and yep. It, I don't know it, it, it's really this has been a weird year for them we know they're good like that's mm-hmm. clear but I'm not sure that we know how good or especially going into the deadline and we'll talk about that but it's like what do they need yep that's sort of a more unclear through 50 games than it would normally be through 50 games and then what do they have to give up what's expendable I think that's more unclear than usual at this point of the year too yeah for sure and you know this is where I'm thinking about it in terms of just you head into trade deadline you usually have a strategy I think ideally uh, they can make some sort of they could push all their bottom end pieces and sort of, you know, just uh, aggregate them into one bigger piece that may crack the top seven on rotation. Yeah. Um, ideally, obviously, you get like a star that, you know, can really, really push you over the top in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, just just asking you in general, you put out a whole piece about this this morning on Monday morning. Um, what is the Raptors approach at the trade deadline right now? I mean, I, I think we were just talking about this off air is I, I think this is going to be a, a quiet year in general around the NBA for a few reasons. One, I think there's the parody in the league, which everyone's talking about right now, which is great. But at the mm-hmm. same time, there are not that many teams that are clear sellers right now that are completely out of it, that aren't in the playoffs, that aren't trying to push towards the playoffs. Um, so there, there's that. And then I think a lot of teams have already started looking ahead to 2021 hoarding cap space and are going to be reluctant to take on any long term salary. And the Raptors are obviously in that mix. So I think, first of all, there aren't that many players available yep. because it's a seller's market and the Raptors, I feel strongly aren't going to be interested in any of the guys that, are tied to long-term contracts unless mm-hmm. it's an expiring deal or a player that has one year left on their deal that probably rules them out they're probably not interested a guy like Robert Covington yeah. who I like a lot and I think would fit in great with the Raptors but sure. he's signed through 2021-22 so mm-hmm. that could rule him out I, I mean I think the options are limited first of all for the Raptors and then I just think the situation is so much different than it was last year like last right. year was a busy deadline I would say in general I think 19 deals in total and the Raptors were responsible for three of them two of them just small financial deals but I think in hindsight it's pretty safe to say that the most impactful deal of of the day Mm -hmm. was the Marcus Gasol trade yeah for sure they won a championship because of it would they have won a championship without Marcus Gasol maybe but probably not probably not probably not so that was huge. I mean, you could argue that the Clippers and Sixers deal was big because it sort of cleared the table for the Clippers to do what they did this summer. Right. Uh, but the Raptors were huge players last year, but they sort of had to be at the time. Like, the situation yeah. called for it because you have Kawhi uh, expiring deal. So you had the one-year window assuming he was going to leave. But even though it was a one-year window, even if you hoped he was going to stay because you were trying to convince him mm-hmm. to stay. So there was every incentive, every sort of sense of urgency to go out and to find a, an upgrade, make the team better, and increase your chances of, of competing for a championship. Uh, and then I've got 
teams around you, Milwaukee and, and Philadelphia, making big moves earlier in the day. So I, I think that sort of puts some pressure on them as well. But I, I think there, there's still a window of opportunity here, clearly, in the Eastern Conference. That hasn't changed. But the roster construction has you don't have that superstar anymore where you're trying to add pieces around him and build around him you've got as we were talking about earlier a ton of balance a balance some pretty good depth but going out you're you're not going to add a a superstar player which is what they like a lot of other teams would love to add those guys just aren't out there Mm -hmm. so to go out and add a Marc Gasol type player a, a really good role player just doesn't move the needle as much as it did last year, which means you're probably not willing to give up as much for that player as you were last year. Yeah, and and you know that along with the fact that it's just it's not shaping up to be that sexy of a trade deadline. Um, I obviously a lot, a lot could happen between now and then, but also realistically, it just seems like a lot of teams feel like they have something to play for this year. Yeah. It seems to be a lot more buyers than sellers. Uh, it's a seller's market, and. Um, I mean, you look at the names, it's just not that sexy. It's like, maybe Drew Holiday's available. It's like, I mean, you know, the Raptors are, people already don't really necessarily always like the two-point guard combination. Do you want three? Yeah. Uh, you know. I, I like him a lot, but it, it's another situation where it's like, I look at, I'm trying to, one of the things that I like to, this is such a weird time of the year. It's a fun time, but it's also a little bit annoying where you've got in the days leading up to it, all the rumors and the speculation, and I'm not one to I I don't I'm not super into that kind of thing the the rumors and the speculation what I try to do I mean obviously I I talk to people around the team and try and get a sense of their approach but the Raptors as we know are as tight-lipped as any organization in the NBA so it's like you try to put yourself into their mindset into their shoes what is Masai thinking right now what has he done in the past in these situations what's his approach like but also what's the motivation why would they make a move why wouldn't they make a move and then you've got to do the same thing obviously with the other teams so in the case of New Orleans you're just thinking okay well they're a team for years that have been trying desperately to squeeze into the playoffs to to win they're not interested in a rebuild and now that they've got Zion I imagine they're especially not interested in in a rebuild they put this roster together which was going to the season it was an intriguing yeah. roster and you lose Zion now you get him back I imagine they'd want to see what this group looks like even if they're not going to make the playoffs this year going into next season wouldn't you want to have an idea of what this group looks like or can be uh, before you start selling guys off yeah exactly are and you going to get more for Drew Holiday now than you would in Four months from now? I mean, like, I guess the ideal Drew Holiday team would be a team like the Clippers, who have this, you know, that superstar pressure, as you mentioned. Um, that is obviously the same as the run the Raptors had last year, although Kawhi is, is tied into at least minimum two years. Um, but there is, a, there is a pressure there, and you can look at their point guard situation with, like, I guess Lou Williams is a point guard, but not really. No. He's, he's, a, he's a creator, but he creates a lot for himself, or Montrez, but that's about it. Uh, and then, you know, Patrick Beverly's fine role player if he's coming off your bench you're probably pretty happy but ideally you would like to get someone like Drew Holiday who could play impact minutes for them and set the table um and a couple other teams in the NBA maybe the Lakers obviously with Drew Holiday but I mean even then his contract's so big it's hard to make that possible yeah and I can't imagine New Orleans picking up a lot of phone calls from the Lakers just in general <laughs> I feel like they're then done there's with that I feel like they're done with that part <laughs> yeah um after the Anthony Davis thing so yeah I mean as you mentioned like there's just it's it's uh it's not necessarily that exciting of a trade deadline but I mean I still think that you know even having said all that there will still be activity as there always is and I think there are still things for the Raptors to clean up 
it's not a perfect team. And I, and I thought about it this way. Um, what is their biggest area of concern if you're looking to address something, right? And I'll give you a couple of things here. Right now, they're 13th in offensive rating, which is fine, but not necessarily great. Mm-hmm. Uh, last couple of years, they've been top 10, sometimes top 5. They are 26 in defensive rebounding percentage. Uh, you know, obviously, that's just not great. Uh, the small four production, generally speaking, for a team that is going to the playoffs and just a number two seed, it's a little suspect. Um, you know, OG has been really good at times, but also has been kind of inconsistent in that role, at least offensively with his output. And also just in terms of the backup small forward, I mean, I'm not even sure who that is. Norm? He's too small for that. Ronde. Yeah, Ronde. I mean, offensively for a small forward. Yeah. It's it's tricky. Or, you know, even uh, a third string point guard slash center. So those four concerns right there. I mean, if you have to address one of them. That's what makes this so interesting for the Raptors. Because I would say, like, kind of all of the above right now. And that mm-hmm. they, I mean, I don't think any of them are glaring needs, at least compared to some of the glaring needs positionally or like, the area of the game that, that they've had needs in the past. Um, but so I, I sort of indicated it earlier with what I was saying, and then I've written it, it today as well as I, I don't expect like a lot of people, I don't expect the Raptors to do anything big at the deadline. What I, I do think they could do is package a, a couple of those end of the rotation, end of bench guys, like you, you mentioned with maybe a second round pick or a couple second round picks, or maybe a first round pick if the return moves the needle enough, but I look at the team and I don't see that glaring area of need. What I what I see is a lot of things that they could use. Mm-hmm. Like I think all those things that you mentioned. I, I mean, offensively, they're better than what did you say? Thirteenth? Yeah, they're. I would say they're a top ten offense if health when everyone's healthy. Their offense has been really good when. Van Vliet and Lowry have been healthy. When, when everybody has been healthy, or most of the guys have been healthy, but specifically Lowry and Van Vliet, your point guards, and then mm-hmm. Marcus Gasol, who's probably not your third best playmaker, he, he's up there. Yeah. So I do think that that's, that's an area of need from an insurance standpoint, right? because if anything were to happen to one of your, you only have two traditional point guards on the roster, if anything were to happen to either of those guys, I think they'd be in big trouble from an offensive standpoint. So I don't know if it's necessarily a third point guard, but another guy that can make plays and handle the ball. Um, another big from an insurance standpoint, because yeah. I think it's sort of the same idea as if Ibaka or Gasol were to go down. And they are older players. They are older players. Gasol's already been dealing with a lingering hamstring issue. Um and maybe that addresses the rebounding concern if you go out and, and get a rebounding big. And then, yeah, if, if you're looking for an actual upgrade, a guy that's going to step in and play consistent minutes maybe as a starter, the area then of need would probably be small forward because that's really the one position with OG that's sort of been up and down this year and consistent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe that would be your area of need if you're looking for maybe not an insurance guy, but an actual guy that 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 steps in and plays meaningful minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting with Masai. Like I said, I try to get in his head because he's a he's a guy that after last year, it's easy to forget that the defining characteristic of Masai Ujiri as an executive had been patience. He makes this a couple of big moves, bold moves last year. But I wouldn't 
say he's an aggressive yeah, general this is not, manager. We're not talking about Daryl Moore over here. Right. It's so, not every year there's going to be trade rumors for everybody. So what do we yeah. know about Masai? We know that he tends to be patient. He, he likes to give his teams an opportunity to basically decide their own fate. If they perform and play well, mm-hmm. he keeps them together. When they haven't, then that's when he's made changes. Then the second thing is he's on record as saying that he doesn't like to make moves in the middle of the season. He prefers to do that in the offseason. Um, he's not afraid to make a big move when he's needed to. So anytime he's deviated from either of those approaches that we talked about, it's been when the situation has called for it. So in 2017, there was a glaring need at power forward. They go yeah. out and they trade Terrence Ross for Sergi Baca. Um, and the deadline deal for P.J. And the deadline deal for P.J., which which was an important one at the time, too. Then they run into this wall in the playoffs, and they get swept by Cleveland in the second round two years in a row. Um, and he goes out and fires Dwayne Casey and trades DeMar for Kawhi and all of that. And then last year at the deadline, as we talked about, there was this window of opportunity where that sort of forced his hand as well, trading JV in the depth for Gasol. But outside of that, he's been pretty consistent in the way that he's approached, especially long-term assets. And I know he says he doesn't like looking at them as as assets, Mm -hmm. but he's a smart guy and he's been calculated. I don't say that in like an evil sitting in a big chair stroking his cat and doing an evil laugh type of way, but he's been opportunistic in the way that he's made his moves. Mm -hmm. So he's not the type of guy that's going to go out there and and make a a move for the sake of making a move just because they have an opportunity here in the East. It, It has to... It has to make sense, and like we've been saying now, it's just I don't think there's that many things that make sense for a lot of teams, but mm-hmm. specifically for the Raptors given their situation. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's that's well said for sure. Um, you know, if you the one thing I, I'm thinking about in terms of the trade deadline is you also got to think about it in terms of what pieces are you actually willing to work with, right? Are you willing to put an OG and OB on the table? Probably not. Uh, if, if it's for a short term upgrade, there's not a great deal of uh, upside in something like that. If it doesn't raise your ceiling that much, you're probably not doing. I mean, like they made a big trade involving Kawhi Leonard, and they managed to retain OG. So, I mean, on one part, it's it's just very good, uh, you know, negotiation at the time to not have to give up, you know, Pascal or OG. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, they they clearly value him. He's you know something that gets lost sometimes with OG is that he is the second youngest guy on the roster. I think O'Shea is the only guy that's younger than him. And his sophomore season, which is when players tend to take a pretty big leap, was yeah. essentially a write-off. This is his second season, mm-hmm. basically. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a good point. Is is Masai's been extremely reluctant to include OG in any kind of trade talk yeah. up to this point. So I that's think he another, really believes in him. Yeah. Th- that's another question that you have to ask yourself is why, why would this be the time, this mm-hmm. be the moment where Masai suddenly – changes course and includes a guy that he's never included in trade talks into a trade conversation and actually moves the guy this doesn't seem like the time to do that given what we believe to be on the market yeah exactly and then you know this was touched on in the the zach lowe's uh, primer on espn which um, was excellent which was excellent of course It, it was zach um but you know he talked about you know like just hypotheticals like you know what if they make a move for like drew holiday or anything like that but it's like yeah you probably have to start with moving og as a centerpiece of that and it's like at that point i mean obviously you know you don't really know what else is coming back in that kind of deal but your roster balance is just completely thrown out of whack 
at that point. And also, like, long-term upside. What are you really doing? You're getting a very expensive 31-year-old point guard when you already have a very expensive 34-year-old point guard, and you're about to pay another 30, a 25-year-old point guard a new contract. doesn't make any sense to do that. And then it brings us right back again <laughs> to 2021, which exactly. is like the, is always the elephant in the room when you're yeah. talking about the Raptors, a lot of teams in the NBA, but the Raptors because it's their top priority, and it's, it's, it's been on their mind with every decision that they've made since the summer. The second Kawhi left it was like okay well now look ahead to 2021 and Drew Holiday is a player option that season um it's like 30 plus million yeah so I mean maybe he doesn't pick it up but even if you argue that it's 50 50 which I wouldn't yeah even if you argue it's 50 50 they're not taking that chance of having a player under contract that season unless I mean the only way that I could see them taking money on past 2021 is if it's like a no-brainer you're getting your superstar now forget about Giannis forget about any of those guys you're getting the superstar now Drew Holiday is really good I like Drew Holiday but Mm -hmm. he's not that guy exactly um and you know if you look at the other assets I mean obviously OG is probably the only one that's like a more tangible one right now but besides that you have some smaller pieces there's some contracts that you can use to match salary like I, I don't think they'll think too hard about if they need to include McCaw or Stanley Johnson or even Nick Nurse Rondon. is not letting McCaw okay. go anywhere. <laughs> Fair enough. Nick Nurse might just quit on the spot, actually. He's, He's like, standing in front of Masai's car. He's taking his cell phone, flushing it down the toilet. You are not trading Patrick McCaw. He's playing the Dwayne Casey on the sideline defense. I, I, I really did enjoy seeing him do that for Detroit. Uh, I just felt really bad for him in, in Detroit. I mean, it, it just in general. Yeah. It, it was, it's just been... Uh, Unfortunate what's happened to him, but um, he's it, making some money over there, though. Yeah, he's that's true. He's at least getting paid for it. Um, but you know, the only other asset really you look at is probably their first round pick this year, which is um, probably not going to be worth that much. Let's be real. The, the Raptors are, I think, the fo- they have the fourth best record in the NBA right now, behind the third, two- I think. Third, so it's 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 Bucks, Lakers. I think it's just Bucks and Lakers. So they might have the third best they record in the NBA the Clippers, right now. Clippers, I believe. Yeah, how about that? Um, some irony there. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not going to be necessarily that valuable a first round pick. Uh, but I, I am curious as to like how does a team like the Raptors, who have had so much success with getting undrafted guys, getting guys in the second round, and just developing guys, I mean, straight up just signing free agents and turning them into uh, pretty nice pieces. Um, how did how does a team like the Raptors specifically value? Uh, a first-round pick like that. I keep going back and forth on that, not just in, in terms of how the Raptors would value that first-round pick, but how, how much, how valuable that first-round pick would be even on the market and what that could get you. On one hand, I, I do think of it like, okay, well, as we said, there there aren't that many guys out there that are going to come in here and be a, a significant enough upgrade over what they already have that you can feel confident in saying like, all right, this is worth it. Even if you're not giving up, like let's say you're, you're getting a, a small four that could potentially start, right? Even if you're not giving up OG, you're just bringing in another small four. It's like, okay, well, that sounds great. You're just adding talent. But are you willing to give up an asset? And in this case, the first round pick is, is definitely an asset. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to give up an asset for a guy that might not move the needle? Maybe he comes in and OG is better than him and he ends up sitting on the bench and then you've just spent yeah. an asset. So part of me thinks... That, that maybe it just might be too much for anybody that you're just not sure whether or not he, he plays a significant role once everybody's healthy. And then the other end of, of the coin, which is what you mentioned, is they've had so much success finding guys, forget late first round or second round, like 
undrafted guys yeah, yeah. that maybe this pick being late in the first round just isn't very valuable to them. And it's probably at this point more valuable to other teams that think, okay, well, it's still a first-round pick. We can flip it for something or we mm-hmm. can use it to draft a guy. It's probably more valuable to other teams right now than it would be for the Raptors. So maybe you can get something and maybe the Raptors don't really stress the idea of giving up the asset for something that might be useful and might not be useful. Yeah. And it's a funny time to talk about undrafted guys because I think they got 58 combined points out of their undrafted trio yesterday <laughs> against the Bulls. Pretty I mean, good. it was the Bulls, but still. 58 points is 58 points. Um, Matt Thomas, too. I know oh, yeah, Matt, Matt Thomas. Matt, yeah, Matt Thomas. Alex's boy. Yeah, I, was, I didn't include him uh, in, in expendable pieces because, uh, you know, Alex would probably... Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. Pull, so out, Nick, his, pull Nick, out his earbuds. Nick I, Nurse I know he's is a big not, fan of you, for sure. Nick Nurse is not allowing Messiah to trade McCaw. Alex is not allowing Masai to trade Matt Thomas. We're yeah. running out of expendable pieces. Here. I mean, OG's a fan favorite. Yeah. Sarge is a fan favorite. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's looking more and more likely. Like it's it's uh, not going to be a, a major move in that in that respect. Well, I just I, I would be so surprised. It's not impossible, and I mean, at this point, I'm reluctant to say that anything is impossible mm-hmm. in the NBA. But it just seems so unlikely that Masai would part with would break up any of those top seven. Right. Exactly. For, I mean, I, I just think. We talked about the way that he sort of approached things before. It's like, give guys a chance, prove themselves. And not only have they done that, and he spoke a few weeks ago and sort of expressed how proud he is of this group for doing what they've done this season. Get chips or die trying. Not, not, yes. <laughs> um, not only is there that, but I also think there's like that sense of intrigue that we all have with this group, especially with that top seven, because we didn't... I, I did the math yesterday. I think... They've had all of their top seven in 15 games, 15 of 50 games so far. So the sample size is incredibly small, but obviously there's reason for excitement to believe that, like, okay, well, once these seven guys are healthy at the same time, and, I mean, you hope that they will be, but assuming they are, who knows how high the ceiling is here. So I do think Masai wants to give them a chance to show what they've got, and I, I also think he just doesn't have enough of an evaluation from his side to go out and really be sure that if you're moving Norm, whoever you're getting back is an upgrade over Norm. And that's another thing is, like, Norm at one point seemed like somewhat of an expendable piece. He's got right. a, a a pretty good contract from, like, a, a trade-matching standpoint. Yeah. Um, was having a career year, sort of expendable in the sense that you have a guy like Terrence Davis behind him. Same reason why they moved Terrence Ross in yeah. 2017, because you had Norman Powell behind him. But I think now he, he's played so well that maybe he's played himself out of that expendable role a little bit. And then also, right. I, I think the, the injury probably hurts his, yeah. his value to some degree. He's out at least a month. Yeah, probably a month to six weeks, something like that. I mean... Poor Norman Powell, man. He he really has the worst timing with everything. Like it's it's, <laughs> yeah. I just feel bad for the guy. It's it, it reminds me almost of um, you know, it, that year he was supposed to compete for that small forward spot, and OG gets it because he got an ankle injury at just the worst time, and then OG just took the spot and ran with it from that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully Norm, you know, gets back because I, I feel like this is the first year where Norm's contributions where it's not just like oh, it's a it's a really nice luxury that Norm's doing what he's no, doing. They, they need now him. it's like wow. He's a difference maker off the bench. Like he, and you, and it was the consistency that that really uh, shine. I mean, throughout this eleven game win streak, obviously he's missed uh, the last couple here because of the uh, injury. But he was second in the team in scoring with like over seventeen points a game. And you just don't have that many guys on the team. And we talked about this in terms of their needs and why they might need another 
quasi point guard or playmaker because you don't have that many guys that can actually create offense, especially off the bench. Mm-hmm. And Norm's mm-hmm. one of those guys. It's like, yeah, he's not maybe in the Lou Williams mode mold where he's not creating offense for other guys necessarily. At some point, you still hope that he can reach that level in, in his in his growth and yeah, his game. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's shown glimpses of it. But <laughs> if nothing else, you can be sure that he's going to get in there and find a way to create offense for himself, which is a valuable thing coming off the bench, especially for a team like the Raps that don't have a lot of those guys. Yeah, and they don't have a lot of wing scoring in general. So it's nice to get that kind of position uh, that output from that position, um, you know, moving away from just all the trade talk. Because, you know what, trade deadline, it, it's really exciting, but it's, I don't know, man. It, it's almost like it reminds me of, like, shopping at Winners. Like, you're just, like, looking around, you're like, maybe I get this bargain, maybe I get this bargain, then you just, like, leave with the pair of socks. You're not, you're not getting actual anything. You spend, like, three hours in there, and then you just leave with the pair of socks. Yeah, that's what this is. We're just that's, spending all this time, and it, yeah. it is. It, it, like you're I like, said, oh, man, Nemnia, Bell, and Litsa, and it's like... <laughs> You don't need that. <laughs> you just put it down and go. It's a fun time of the year. And even last year, last year there was a lot of movement. But even after the trade deadline, it's like, oh, well, okay, Anthony Davis didn't go anywhere. We thought maybe yeah. he would. Like, Marcus saw that's a pretty big deal. And mm-hmm. it, Tobias Harris. But, like, it still kind of yeah. made you feel empty a little bit. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, so, yeah, moving away from that. Um, it's well, moving away from at least the Raptors trade deadline kind of thing. If you look at sort of the rest of the landscape, I guess maybe part of their moves may be at least in part dictated based on whether the other teams in the East also make a move. Um, and, you know, in, in that front, it seems like the Heat have been linked to a lot of things. I'm not sure if that's just, I don't know, their strategy of leaking stuff or anything like that, but uh, it, you know, or there might just be a real intent to actually add something there. But in terms of the rest of the East, could you see something, a kind of move or a kind of upgrade somewhere in the rest of the East? We're talking just top six um, that can sort of at least swing the balance of the conference or not even necessarily swing the balance. But clearly there's Milwaukee up, up top and then like a group of five teams that are kind of like jostling for position in the middle there. Is there a move that could sort of disrupt that hierarchy? Well, whether directly or indirectly, the Raptors reacted to Milwaukee and Philadelphia making moves last year. And those are the teams, I mean, they're still sort of interesting in that Milwaukee, there's so much on, they're really good, but there's mm-hmm. so much on the line for them this year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, they've got to, this is, this is it. I mean, they, they've got to, they've got to show Giannis that they're serious, not only about winning, but surrounding him with the right guys. So maybe there's pressure to go out there and make a big move. And then also, I think if you're looking ahead, like this is a big year for them in terms of how far they go. And they know that too, because they make the finals. Certainly if they win a championship, then it's far more likely, I think, that Giannis signs that Supermax extension over the summer. If they don't make the finals, he's probably not signing that extension. And then all of a sudden, you're spending an entire season with everybody looking at you, talking about you, and, and following Giannis around yeah. like everybody did Kawhi last year. And, and yeah. I can't imagine they, they want that. So I think there there's a lot of pressure on Milwaukee right now to do something. And then Philadelphia, based on how poorly they've played and just I mean that situation's a mess no and I'm not surprised by it either I like I wasn't sold on their roster construction last year they didn't to me make a Mm -hmm. whole lot of sense they had a lot of talent they didn't make a whole lot of sense now to me this year they make even less sense they have less shooting they have more size in a league that's sort of moving away from those types of lineups 
I don't know what they do, but for them, like, it's not, okay, the Raptors can can make a smaller type move and bring in some depth or shirts or whatever and feel pretty good about it, but, like, there's no small move that's going to fix Philly. If they're going to no. do something and it's actually going to make a difference, like, they've got to do something huge, and yeah, I don't it's think... It's a fundamental problem for them. Absolutely. So, I don't know. I think those two are interesting to me. Um... I feel like Boston could really use a, a legit center. Uh, they put up a graphic. I was watching. Uh, I was watching Sixers Celtics on Saturday. It was, I guess that was a primetime game on ABC. Um, and you know it was funny because Embiid played that game, but he was garbage. He was like one of eleven, and it just had a really tough game. Um, but they showed a graphic of the Celtics centers, and it was so sad. It was like Vincent Poirier, Grant Williams, uh, Enos Cantor. Taco Fall, who's like a meme, yep, uh, and um, Daniel Tice. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you could trust any of those five guys reliably in a playoff series yeah. who can actually go up against the kind of centers in the East. I mean, whatever. They did do a good job against Embiid that night, but um, I feel like they could probably use a move. Like, if Capella's available, I feel like Capella can make a kind of an impact. But, no, again, Capella doesn't really fit what they, they do offensively yeah. either. So, um, yeah, it's it's hard to see in, in, in Indiana. I mean, no one even talks about Indiana. But I, I don't really see them making a move either just because I think they just want to know what the team looks like with Victor involved. Right. And they already made their move in the offseason. Uh, they gave up those two first-round picks uh, to go and sign Brogdon. Um, and th- those two first-round picks from Indy, by the way, th- that could probably be where Milwaukee uses those picks for an upgrade. But even with Milwaukee, it's like, what are you going to upgrade on a 42-7 and team? Yeah, like are you gonna get it? Like a and they got a ton of depth too. If anything, like the move that they need to and probably want to make is consolidated. I'm sure they'd love to do something similar to what the Raptors did last year, where you're trading like three guys for one player that's going to be an upgrade at one of the at at some position for them. But yeah, I mean, I think for them, like it, it. just might make more sense to try and consolidate some of that depth. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, what kind of piece that they're bringing in that's that's making the difference there. Yeah, exactly. At so, least right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, again, it's shaping up to be a kind of a cold uh, trade deadline. And um, I mean, we'll see, though. I think, you know, I, the Raptors, as, as sophisticated as they are, I'm sure they'll have contingency plans and they'll have, you know, I mean, I don't know. IBM Watson will spit up something. And as we were saying earlier, all it takes is one move in, 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 around the league, one team to take a big swing and make yeah. a big move and then all of a sudden especially if it's early enough in the day then other teams are reacting to it and then your quiet trade deadline might not be so quiet after all so yeah. who knows and that's why this is such an interesting time of the year yeah like if philly somehow ended up with drew holiday that's a move that would be that would make a lot more sense i still don't think they're that lethal if they've made something like that but yeah that, that situation is just very awkward i don't know why they paid al horford that much money last year that just didn't make sense you never thought man if this team just had al horford they Instead I like Al Horford Butler? a lot, but like Al Horford's a five man. Yeah. Like, and he's now he's a he's a hundred and nine million dollar backup five. Oh man, in the modern NBA. Um, all right, so All Star Weekend, um, the Raptors have two All Stars and a coach. Uh, first, I, I think honestly, I mean, it's it's amazing what Pascal has done. It, his story's sort of been told to death, and obviously Kyle Lowry continues to be excellent. He's kind of defying age at this point. Um, I, I kind of just want to focus a little bit on Nick Nurse. I feel like. First off, for you, like, um, you know, obviously, you know, we speak to Nick a lot just in terms of just, you know, through whatever appearances and availabilities and things like that. Um, 
I'm new to the beat, but you know, you were there obviously through a lot of the Casey, if not all of the Casey years. Yeah, my my first year was was Casey's first year, 2011. Okay, yeah. So, um, how would you compare sort of just like the what it's like to work with these guys, uh, the difference there, and and also just in general, Nick Nurse making it to the All Star game. I mean, did you see this coming when the Raptors ultimately settled on Nurse? You know, I guess last uh, two summers ago. Now? Well, the great irony when they made the coaching change was so many people were so upset about it, if for no other reason, than it was like, okay, well, you fired Dwayne Casey. He was beloved yeah. coach, very popular. Uh, a lot of people questioned that move, but even the people that didn't, that understood it, was like, okay, so you go out and you either people either wanted like a big name, somebody that's been in the league for a while, that's been a head coach in the league before, yeah. um, or you just wanted somebody that was like, okay, well, just go out and get somebody completely different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember talking myself into uh, Sarunas Yesikevasis. Yeah. People hated the idea that you are hiring a guy from the exact same coaching staff. You just fired the head coach. Mm-hmm. You're promoting his assistant. How is that different? But the great irony here, and I, I knew that this was the case at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much it was the case until you start to see what Nick does more in the head coaching role. But the great irony here is that those two men as head coaches are completely different. <laughs> they really are. And it's are. not a knock at like Dwayne, Dwayne Casey's a great coach. And Nick Nurse is a great coach. They're just... Two very different coaches. Yep. Um, so that's, I think, what stood out more than anything else over the, the year and a half that we've seen Nick at the helm now. And I think that's something that, that Masai really wanted. He wanted a different approach. There are similarities, sure, but he, he wanted a different approach and a different energy. And that, I think, is the biggest thing about Nick. And, and what um, I, I really pick up on is his presence and his energy. There's, mm-hmm. there's a calmness to him. Which yeah. I think really helps. I think it really helped last year when there was just this, like, there could have been a lot of, it, it could have been really awkward in that room throughout the year. Whether it was oh, yeah. the, the Kawhi and the contract situation that was hovering over them, um, Kawhi and the way that he was treated is different from other players, the load management mm-hmm. and all of that. If that isn't managed, Kyle being Kyle. Kyle being Kyle, especially at the beginning of the year yeah. with the DeMar stuff. Yeah. Um, that had a lot of potential to blow up and be a disaster. But then you had Nick who sort of brought this like calm energy. He still, he gets on you more than most. I mean, he's not afraid to call guys out. We've seen it time and time again. So it's not like I wouldn't call him like a player's coach in the traditional sense. And I Mm -hmm. wouldn't say that he's some like pushover that you can walk all over and he's just there to play his guitar and sing Kumbaya and all that. But I think with, with a lot of coaches, including Dwayne Casey, it's such a high stress, mm-hmm. high stakes job that you can sort of sometimes that stress begins to you can sense it. Yeah. And other players they pick up on it, and then it just seeps its way throughout the locker room. Whereas I haven't sensed that at all in two very different types of seasons with yeah. with two very different types of rosters with with Nick. As the head coach. So I, I, I think that's probably his best quality in addition, obviously, to all the creativity and the innovation and all that on the court. I think off the court, that presence and that leadership has become what, what's defined him as a head coach, basically. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just you. I don't know. You're right. He does have this presence about him where he's just very he's very silently confident, if not outwardly, even if he's outwardly. I don't know. Somehow. Still, kind of doesn't. It still surprises you almost. He's he doesn't stress the small things. He I really think doesn't. It's like that. That picture of him walking off the plane with the headphones on and the guitar bag. Yeah. <laughs> 
going into Milwaukee of all places. I think there's there's it's a le- there's a there's a perfect. life That's lesson. Nick. There's a life lesson here though because yeah. it's like there's so many things in life regardless of what your profession is to worry about. Like real things in this yeah, yeah. really messed up world of ours mm-hmm. to worry about. So to spend time and energy stressing the small insignificant details, yeah. it's a waste of time. And I think like that's that's what Nick has brought to the table more than anything else. I remember with Dwayne Casey, like it would be every game, okay, well who's the starter? Who's playing? Who's not playing? Mm-hmm. I remember it was like such a big secret one one game a few years ago that Tyler Hansbro was going to start. We can't tip yeah, the other yeah, team yeah, off. Right, right, we can't right. let them know that Hansbro is starting. Whereas now it's like with Nick, it's like when is he ever, he's not yeah. away with that kind of stuff. He'll tell you the lineups. Yeah, he'll yeah. tell you because he knows it's not a big deal. And he'll, he'll tease you with the starting lineup too sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, no, and Nick has been a, a really good hire. Um, and again, like it, it, it is only a year and a half into the job, but he has the second highest win percentage <laughs> in NBA history right now. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty damn good. Um, Rockstar. Imagine being Nick Nurse with the... Oh, yeah. And apparently he's a great piano player yeah. as well. Have you heard him play piano? I, he has one in his office, so I've heard it sort of from a distance. He'll okay. play sometimes after wow. practice. Yeah, seriously, a renaissance man. I didn't realize how much... I, I knew he had the connection with Chicago. I didn't realize how much Chicago meant to him. So that seems to be a big part yeah, of this all-star true. story, too. He was that telling us the other day that his late father was stationed there mm-hmm. at the end of World War II. Yep. So there was a connection... From the get-go with his family, right. w- with Chicago, and then growing up five hours away, he'd, he'd make the drive and visit his sister who lived there, go to Cubs games. He's a huge right. Cubs fan, and then they spent time, obviously, there in the summer um, throwing out the first pitch and, and being, yeah. being a rock star at the, the seventh-inning stretch. So Yeah, the voice was not bad either. I guess he plays piano. He can sing a little bit. Um, yeah, man, what a time to be Nick Nurse. This is what happens when you don't stress the small stuff. You have time to... Play the piano and the guitar and enjoy life. Yeah, that is true. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this break, you know, uh, with with a tease. I'm about to ask you what the 2021 strategy with Giannis is. But in the meantime, before we get to that, before Josh tells you with outright certainty that the Raptors are signing Giannis. All right, quote it right now. Yep. I gotta tell you that baseball has hot dogs, football has nachos. So when does basketball get its official food? How about right now, Kentucky Fried Chicken, the new official food of basketball? Think about it. Basketball players make buckets all the time. KFC makes buckets all the time. And theirs are filled with fried chicken, like Famous Original Recipe or Crispy Popcorn Chicken or even Juicy Tender. So that settles it. KFC, the official food of basketball. Order at KFC.ca and get it before tip-off. Now, Giannis, 2021. How real is this? Everyone wants to know. I, I mean, if he's out there, if mm-hmm. he's available, and that's a big if in and of itself, I think they have a shot. I mean, like, I don't know how good that shot is, how likely it is, just because it seems, I mean, it's so situational. We, as mm-hmm. we saw with Kawhi, Kawhi had so many good reasons to stay in Toronto if he valued those reasons, and I'm sure he did to some degree. Right. But the thing that he valued above all else is... Going home, the warm weather, I'm sure, was a factor, being around his family, California, all of that. We don't know what Kawhi's, sorry, what what Giannis's top priority is, what he values. He hasn't talked about that. And even the people close to him, it's not like it was with Kawhi where there was leaks even years before about what that top priority was. So that's the biggest factor if he's out there is like we don't know what will appeal to him. But that said, I think the Raptors, first of all, they've... They've earned the right to be in the room, not just with Giannis, but with great players. And that was Masai Ujiri's goal from the get-go. That's one of the oh, things yeah. he talked about. It's yeah. like, 
it's something that they had never done. And, mm. and it's still something. It's so interesting because as much as the Raptors have done as a franchise, they've won the championship. Check. They've kept their own free agents, which was huge. Oh, because, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, Bosch and Vince, like, they stayed. But they were, at the time, coming off of their rookie contracts. Yeah, restricted yeah. free agent, I guess. Like, everybody stays. Mostly, those yeah, star yeah, players you gotta stay. you got to get the money first. Right. But there hadn't been a guy that had chosen – to, to stay in Toronto instead of it going wherever else that had the freedom to do so until DeMar did it and Kyle did it multiple times. So that was a huge step for them. But the one thing that they still haven't done is the one thing that Masai has talked about doing and going out and pitching themselves, selling themselves, and recruiting a big-name free agent. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that... They, the, the stigma still exists. Let's put it that way. The sure, stigma yeah. still exists that uh, players, star players, don't want to go and play in Toronto. Um I think they're at a point now where they've shaken that enough mm-hmm. with the championship and the just the, the way that they've built a well-regarded franchise, the player development, the scouting, the practice court, the G League team, all of that, yeah. where where they have a case that they can make, and it's a good case. Um, from there, like I said, I think it's a sort of situational. Masai does have a relationship with Giannis. Mm-hmm. That's not... It's not a secret anymore. That's not a secret. It's not fake. It's not made up. Masai has talked about it. Masai's relationship with with Giannis. Masai's relationship with Giannis's family. So that might be your in. That might be an advantage that the Raptors have, in addition, obviously, to that sales pitch that I think that they can make and feel really good about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of what he wants. But I, I think... The overarching theme here is we don't know even if he's going to be out there. And that's why I say, and we talked about it earlier, is... This is such a huge few months for Milwaukee. What do they do here at the trade deadline? What do they do in the playoffs? Do they go far enough to appease Giannis to the point where he says, all right, well, this is where I want to be? Or does he feel like, even if he doesn't know that he wants to leave, do I want? does he want to keep things open next year and test the, the free agent market? Which, I mean, a, a lot of guys do. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're going to talk about realistic, obviously people make jokes. People like like to fantasize about these things. Um, but even even if he doesn't re-sign with Milwaukee or he doesn't sign the extension with Milwaukee, um, there's going to be an incredible amount of competition for yeah. him. It's not like the Raptors are the only team in the league outside of Milwaukee that have this chance to sign Giannis. A lot of teams are opening themselves up for it. The Miami Heat are, for example, a team that are trying to open themselves up for it and also – I mean, it's Miami. <laughs> that's a free agent destination, right? Everybody's there. sitting no on. Everyone's hoarding that cap space right now. Exactly, and you know, Giannis is the top of that list. And so, there's going to be an incredible amount of um, just just competition for a great player like that. I, I think at least, you know, if you had to guess, you know, all these free agent meetings, you know, Kevin Durant, for example, took six meetings famously. LeBron will take a. I guess he took a couple of meetings. Uh, you know, Kawhi took three meetings, right? What whichever X number of meetings that Giannis takes, I I do feel like if he gets to that point where he hits free agency, I hope that Toronto can at least be one of those teams. And I think you know maybe it's a personal relationship, maybe it's the organization, maybe it's the fact that he's not an American-born player. I think it's it's a little bit more likely. I think just if you just think logically, yeah, an American-born player would probably want to play more in America than in Canada, hundred um, percent. If all things were equal, and you know it, it might not be the same when you're you know born to Nigerian immigrants in in Greece. And you know, you know, it, it just could be different. But and the the Raptors love to pack that arena with um, like Greek, oh, yeah. Greek fan night or whenever whenever he's in town. Yeah, 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 Greek flags everywhere, which I'm sure is not a coincidence. Yeah. They like to remind him that there's 
We got the Danforth here. There's yeah. the, the Greek community here is is strong. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, and then Masai will bring the other half of that. Uh, if you could, if you could bring back one player between the two of here, Serge or Marcus All, because the center position after this season a little bit up in the air. Yeah, both expiring deals, both older players, uh, but both very productive players and, and unselfish. Um, I mean, realistically, it's probably only one of the two. You would guess. I would agree, yeah. Um, and if you had to make one or two? That's, that's really tough because they're both so different. Like, they both do, yeah, yeah. and that's why they work so well together now, and that's why I can't see them moving either of them at the deadline. Is like you, you no. need what both of them give you. So it's really tough. I mean, Gasol is probably the slightly more valuable player just in terms of what he brings. Mm-hmm. Um but then he's also the older player. But I would imagine if, if you're re-signing one of those guys in the offseason, given the what, 2021 and what's ahead, it's, it's got to be on a one-year deal anyway. So yeah. may, maybe you bring back Gasol on a one-year deal. If for no other reason, then I think he'd probably be more amenable to that than, than Serge would be for, for a one-year deal when he could probably get more elsewhere. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I probably – I think I'm leaning the same way. Um Quick question though, what what's the long term strategy? If there is a long term strategy against uh, around a guy like Chris Boucher, who I think he's really proven himself this year, seems to be definitely on the come up. Uh, I mean, before it was like throw him in, in garbage time and he'll do some things, but now he's actually uh, for the most part executing defensive schemes pretty well. Uh, he's a little jumpy, but you know he's got to get his IG highlights. Uh, but you know, on the whole, he's he's really made himself into a, a quite a nice player, and he's contributed to uh, multiple wins this year. Uh, is there a long term strategy against Chris Boucher, who's also I think he's uh, restricted after this? Season? Yeah, so it's like a, a little bit of the new the new Lucas Nagara, where it's like mm-hmm. he, yeah, yeah. He, the numbers and the production in a small sample is really intriguing. If you take that and extrapolate it over a longer period of time or in a regular role. There's questions like there was about Bebe over whether or not he can fill that role. I think with both of them, it was like, I mean, Bebe just was more fragile than than Boucher seems to be, despite the fact that they have a similar frame. Mm -hmm. I I think there's probably more more mental and physical toughness going on with Boucher. Um, but I, I I think there's still a question, like probably about position more than anything else. Where does he play? Because, like, let's say. Let's say you don't pick up any front court insurance at the deadline and and one of those bigs, something were to happen to them, they get hurt or, or whatever. Like, I, I still think you feel a little bit uneasy in a playoff series oh, with yeah. throwing Boucher in there just because of the physical strength, especially if Gasol is out and you need him at center. Um, but he's a guy, yeah, going into the season, I didn't know what he was. I, I G League MVP dominated last year in the G League, but I wasn't sure if he could be an NBA rotation yeah. player. I believe now that he is an NBA rotation yeah. player. I still don't know where in that rotation he fits, positionally or, or even in terms of the hierarchy necessarily, mm-hmm. but um, he's an NBA player. Definitely. Yeah. And a fun um, one, too. Yeah, that's very fun. Uh, just really fun to watch, especially in these, like, January, February games, people are a little sluggish. And then you just bring Chris Boucher in there. It's like you just like took a shot of Red Bull, basically. Yeah, he's like the, the change of pace running back that you throw in there just to... Like... Yeah. yeah, I mean, he really is like a running back. He, I, think, I, I think he reminds... I don't know, the, the Raptors center rotation. I, I, I said this like on Twitter a couple of weeks back. I don't really watch football like that, but it reminds me of the, the Giants. The early one in the Super Bowl. 
yeah the earth wouldn't fire you and mm-hmm. it's like you know uh, i don't know which one is specifically which one but chris boucher is very much a guy who does something entirely different than what surge and mark does yeah he actually rolls to the rim and finishes hard for one which is uh nice to see um in terms of the point guard position so i, I think if you kind of just read around this you know uh, read around the lines i, I think um I think Bobby Webster went on Tim and Sid, and he sort of talked about – he was asked about Fred as well. And, you know, they're not going to say outright, like, hey, we're going to re-sign him for this amount of money. Don't worry about it. It's already done. Uh, but it definitely seems like everyone is pretty optimistic about it. And I think there's definitely a lot of interest in keeping Fred around. Um, is that also your sense of the situation? Yeah, that's – as tight-lipped as the Raptors are, that's not a well-kept secret. They love Fred. They want to keep Fred for everything that he brings off the court as much as everything that he brings on the court. He's become such a, a huge part of the culture and the foundation and the team in general. Um, it's funny how he and Siakam are the same age, and yet even Pascal looks to, to Fred as, like, this, like, mentor. And yeah. <laughs> and it's it's been that way from – uh, I, I think a younger age just yeah. because he's always sort of like even that bench mob he was the leader of that bench mob and even as a rookie he came in it didn't look very shaken by very much he's always had a presence about him and obviously now we've seen it like in the NBA finals we've seen Fred have a presence about him you know um, they want to keep him um, and he wants to stay I can say both of those things with confidence but he's also of uh, he's a businessman oh, and yeah. he's smart and and good for him and he should be and he he if there is a deal out there that's going to pay him and, and and going to take care of him and his family and make him happy then then he should take it uh, especially if the raptors decide this is too rich for our blood right now and right. that's that's the only way really that's the only scenario where i can see things not working out um because i imagine if you're the raptors i mean it's not like with siakam where he's clearly a max player yeah and there's no negotiation really. there's no negotiation there was a negotiation with siakam because i mean if you're the team there, there was he wasn't like a clear max player in the sense of like the Kawhi leonard yeah, or like a, the, sure so th- there is i guess some wiggle room but at the end of the day they knew the raptors knew they wanted to keep him they yeah. knew they would go as high as they needed to that's probably not the case with fred as much as they like him there's mm-hmm. there's a cap yeah they've, at sure. some point they've they've sat down and they've said if they haven't already they will this is all we can spend, given what we think he's worth, but mm-hmm. probably more than anything else, what we know that we need to to save um, for 2021, to have that flexibility. So ultimately, I think if another team comes out there and really values him and has that money to spend and throws a lot of money at him, then maybe the Raptors just say, okay, well, listen, we can't do this. If you're Fred and it's the difference of a few million dollars – between like playing for the Knicks or Detroit and versus being in Toronto, then maybe that's where he says, "Okay, well, hometown discount." Yeah. Even though he's not really the hometown discount type of guy, he is. There's a, there's a loyalty there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah um, for sure. There's a loyalty there, and I do think, if nothing else, he's not a restricted free agent. But I do think he would do the Raptors the sort of the courtesy of saying like, "Okay, well, I got this offer. Yeah. What what can you do here?" Even though he doesn't have to do that as an unrestricted free agent. Um. So that's really the only scenario I can see where things don't work out. And mm-hmm. because there are teams out there that are going to have money, and, and he's going to be one of the biggest names on the market, um, probably only a couple of those teams that, that really need a point guard. But yeah, all it takes true. is one. All it takes is one team to, to really value him and throw him. I, I don't know. What are you thinking in terms of range? I mean, 
I think they can get up to Blake broke the numbers down, um, and part of it is dependent on Pascal whether he hits the bonuses in his contract with all NBA and stuff like that. But you know, I mean, I'm comfortable with like even like 22, 23. Yeah, I'm comfortable. Here's the thing: like if you look at Fred's age 25 season versus Kyle's age 25 seasons, they're remarkably similar. And you know, Kyle that year that was his first year. He kind of mostly started his games for that. He obviously had a very different start to his career than Kyle, than Fred did, but. They're kind of virtual clones of each other, and if you and you, I mean, as much as Kyle Lowry is excellent, he's going to a six All Star game. There's a future Hall of Fame case that I, honestly, I'm even I'm fifty fifty on, but even fifty fifty for Kyle is unthinkable. Like even three or four years ago, yeah. Um, you know, like you need a succession plan long term for Kyle, and yeah, this is it's not Fred, Patrick. It's not Patrick McCaw. Well, you know, if Nick Nurse gets his way, uh, um, I mean the the only the only concern that I have with Fred. You sort of mentioned it there with Kyle in terms of like early on in his career. There just wasn't there wasn't as many mi- miles on his legs, sure, because of the role and the minutes, which has allowed him to carry such a substantial workload later in his career. Whereas Fred is is I mean the, his minutes weren't weren't crazy up until this year, also, but just the the role and the and the, the yeah. beating that he takes, the way that he plays, Kyle wasn't really always like that at least not in like the the way that he is now with the Raptors where he's taking charges and and, mm-hmm. and playing those big minutes whereas Fred like those are those are hard falls that he takes he's already accumulating a lot of like smaller ailments yeah. the back thing has been lingering um and his body type I mean for for any of those guys that are generously listed as six feet like Kyle is it's I like how they were like this year their measurements are real and then you go there and you're like they're not real they're a little bit more real than they were but still not really real yeah no I mean yeah. n- neither of them are six feet um, no, they're not. but with Kyle as much as people like to make fun of or at least one point would make fun of the body type like yeah. that body type has helped him sustain man, yeah, yeah that's true. because those are some hard hits that he takes but he's got some like yeah he's got some padding there whereas sure. with with Fred he doesn't as much and mm-hmm. you, you sort of cringe every time he takes a fall or goes in for a layup and gets knocked down or whatever it is because yeah I, I'm not sure how sustainable it is but yeah I mean That's in terms true. of the the actual player himself not only the the on-court product and the skill set but even the mindset same as Pascal's like those yeah. are the guys if you're going to pay 20 plus million dollars for anybody pay for the Fred Van Vliet's and the Pascal Siakam's not the Andrea Bargnani's well that's we've come a long way as a yes. franchise um, all right. Before we end the podcast, let's uh, let's go to some personal questions. Just because you know the Raptors are nice, but you know we also want to know about you, Josh. Uh, first off, how did you get in the business? So you mentioned your first year on the beat was 2011. Um, yeah, just take us through. How, I, I always, people always want to know how people get into what we do. Yeah, and you can ask ten people in the industry, and you'll get ten different answers. Yeah, it's such that there's no blueprint. It's it's there's so many different ways to do it. And, and for me, it was sort of very random. I, I had always wanted to to be in sports, sports broadcasting, um, journalism, and I, I just didn't pursue it. So I, I was in my early 20s, and I was sort of bouncing around in a bunch of different industries, and I was working at a bank okay. when um, one, of my, one, of, one of the regular customers um, would come in for his business, and we got to talking one day, and he asked me what I wanted to do, and, and I mentioned sports, and he said that... One of his good friends, uh, somebody that he grew up with, is Tim McAuliffe. 
oh, the sure. time of, yeah, the, yeah. of the score. Right, right. Um, so he said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you Tim's card and, and give him a call. Maybe he can set you up with an internship or something. And I'm like, yeah, sh- sure you will. Yeah. Uh, and like a year went by. I think it was like a year or several months where every day he'd come in and he's like, oh, I, I forgot that card. I'm going to give you the card. And I'm like, yeah, sure you will. Yeah. And then one day he came in with the card and said, Tim's expecting your call. So I did an internship um, with, with Tim and Sid. At the score, that was my first mm-hmm. experience in in the business, and it was great. Those two, yeah. to this day, remain uh, good friends of mine and, and have been great mentors along the way. But the as, score had launched a lot of careers, low key, especially back in the tel- television days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, even at the time, I was C- Cabby left. I think during my time there, I was there for like four, four or five months. Right, right. right. Um, but I was like sitting right across from Cabby, sitting next mm-hmm. to Tim and Sid. And at the time, like for somebody that that had always dreamt of yeah. being in the industry, it was it was surreal. Uh, but as cool as it was, it's like, okay, I'm watching these guys do what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and it was great experience, but I wasn't getting any reps. I wasn't getting any like hands-on experience. That's true. Or, or confidence. Yeah. Um, so uh, I went to school. I did a one-year program, uh, sports journalism at Centennial, right. which was great, both in terms of the reps and the confidence, and then also networking and meeting people. Definitely, uh, I met Jim Taddy there. Okay, uh, at the time it was 2011. Uh, TSN Radio had just launched, so it was the perfect time. I had, Taddy helped hook me up with an internship there. I think it was like two months after the the station launched. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a ton of opportunity there for for growth. Um, they were looking for people. They didn't have a lot of interns there at the time. So I, I was freelancing, doing a little bit of producing, a little bit of reporting. And that was the lockout shortened year where it wasn't until December right. where the NBA comes back and they realize, oh, shoot, we we don't have an NBA reporter. We don't have a Raptors reporter. So mm-hmm. they asked me to go to the the only, pre- only home preseason game they had that year. I didn't Burn the place down. I did a, <laughs> I did, I did a passable enough job that they're like, all right, go to game two. Yeah. You go to game three. Go to game four. Okay. And then eventually they're like, okay, freelance, do the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. The next season I did home games and home practices. So it was like a little bit more each year until yeah. I think it was the third year that they hired me full time and had me travel. I did two years where it was full 82 games, mm-hmm. traveling full time, which is – Great experience, but not a job that's nah, designed for any one human. I mean, even the newspaper guys split it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's and I've been at TSN ever since 2011. That's that's really cool, man. That's really cool. Um, did, was basketball was your favorite sport growing up? Did you, first of all, did you grow up in the city? Uh, just north, Woodbridge, uh, Thornhill. Okay. I didn't mean to. The stereotype. home. I didn't, I didn't mean to stereotype. The <laughs> home. Yeah, that's I looked okay. at you. I was like Woodbridge. The uh, home of uh, Andrew Wiggins, even though he refuses to acknowledge Thornhill and calls oh. it Vaughn. He grew up in Thornhill. He grew up in Thornhill. Yes. Wow. Um, what, was basketball was your favorite sport? Like, what was your? Loyalty? It was. Yeah. I mean, I sort of got into it. Like, really got into it in '95 when the Raptors were born. Um, so like given that, like, I, I love basketball. I was playing basketball. Yeah. I was and still am usually the shortest guy on the court when I play. Yeah, so yeah. I identified more than anything else with Damon at that time. Like they oh, were just, yeah, yeah. team was just coming to the league. Damon was just coming into the league. He was like the relatable star, the mm-hmm. guy that was playing below the rim. That was fun. That was exciting. But it's like, okay, well you don't have to be six feet, seven yeah, feet. Yeah. Well, I guess he was just under six feet. You don't have to be six foot five, seven feet dunking to, to right. be a, a star in the NBA. So, um, as a kid, like that, that was 
that was sort of what I gravitated towards. And then I, I, Iverson and a lot of the the smaller guards. J.J. Barea has always been like J.J. Barea. Oh, my God. Has always been like what one, one of the guys. That's, that's my – that's my when I when I'm playing rec ball. That's my even today that the comp. It's just. Okay. I was gonna ask you for your NBA comp. Yeah, so my NBA re- comp is JJ Barea. That's not bad. That's not bad. JJ's still in the league. I know. Yeah. He's yeah. A, he, um. That's really cool, man. Uh. I mean, you obviously seen the growth of basketball in, in Canada, but I mean, it, it's kind. Of, it must be surreal, man. It just must be because, like, when I when I first started following sports, and like probably like early 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 2000s it was just like i mean the the least are a bigger deal i mean the least are always a big deal yeah they were and in that's the playoffs like a change but yeah, yeah but i mean at the time if you were just getting laughed at if you if we watched raptors yeah it, it was sometimes hard to find it was on like three different channels you know like it was just it was just weird time but um yeah they've come so far as as uh as a team um your all-time Starting five of favorite Raptors players to to deal and interact with on a daily basis. Oh man, um, and we we stick with the positions. So okay, so point guard is Fred. Okay. I mean, nobody to, to not this, Kyle. <laughs> no, I, it depends on the day with Kyle. That's I true. think he'd probably tell you the same thing about me too. Okay. It just depends on the day. So we're currently good. Our yeah, relationship yeah, yeah. is currently good. Um, now Kyle, Kyle when he wants to be is great. Oh yeah. He's and he wants to be this year. Like he's in a good place in life. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it, family wise, he's a champion. Got his money. Got his money. All he, star. Yeah. He he's. I, I think Bruce uh, Arthur wrote a piece about this recently, where like for a guy that always needs a foil, a gripe, mm-hmm. somebody to be at odds with, he's just he he's at peace right now, and you can yeah. hear it even in the interviews, like. The the sideline uh, after the game and all of that stuff. Just the tone of his voice is less combative. He's just he's loving life, and that's that's great. And he he's been um, he's been a lot of fun to to interact with this year. Um, point guard is Fred. Fred. I, I mean, yep. in, in nine years covering the team, I've never covered anyone like Fred. He checks off every single box. Not only there are other guys I'm going to list on here that are just good dudes that were good to be around because that, yeah. I, I guess... is I'm sure the, Jose was great, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's the genesis of the, the question is like who is good to be around? Not necessarily yeah. a quote machine, but Fred is not only great to be yeah. around, a personable guy, respectful. Um, he's not shy. He's not, he's not afraid to say things either. Yeah. He's very set in himself. So he's no, not worried about saying the wrong thing because he... He kind of, I don't know. There's no cliches. He will never, ever give you a cliche. It's yeah. always like the, the, he's not beating around the bush. He's not sugarcoating it. He's going to tell it as it is. He's going to give you an interesting quote. He's mm-hmm. also going to be honest with you, which is huge. Um, so, I mean, Fred checks off every box. Um, Damar shooting guard. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was going to throw Jose in there too, but uh, Jose will be an honorable mention at the point. Damar's, Damar's on the list. Um, if for no other reason than the growth was incredible. I mean, obviously as a player we saw it as well, but off the court, like from a guy that, I mean, I didn't cover him from the start of his career. I guess he was like two, two or three years in, but still at the time, I mean, he'd barely give you anything. He was just, I mean, admittedly, he was a loner. He was the shy guy that, mm-hmm. and then just blossomed into not only a leader in the room, but somebody that was always like a really... He's just he's just a human. Like he's just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a a human being in the way that a lot of these guys don't allow themselves to be. He mm, allowed himself right. to open up to us, to be real, to feel, to emote. Um and then there was yeah, I mean the 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 analogies and the the comparisons were always really fun. Um and what I liked about him is 
he was always accountable. Always. Yeah. Whether they won by 30 or lost by 30, and there were some 30-point losses early in his career. Mm-hmm. Regardless, like he always stepped up as a leader and would talk to us after the game. That's big. You respect that. Yeah. For sure. Um, I'm trying to think who else would be on the list. Like Maybe we'll bounce around here because I want to acknowledge JV. Who is uh, as a center? Yeah, I, what, I figured you go JV. One of, Even though Marcus Saul is like an, a delightful human being, so willing to talk, so patient, so willing, so I mean, so generous with his time. Yeah, obviously has a lot of great stories. He's been around a lot of great players, but I mean, and Gasol is a better quote than JV. That's the thing about JV, and that's what mm. I was saying earlier. There's a few guys on this list. Jose was one, yeah. and then JV is another. Where like the, he's not going to give you a great quote, especially not on the record. Off the record, JV oh, was right. hilarious. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't about that. JV mm-hmm. is just like the, you. You don't find a spirit like that in in the NBA and pro sports very often. Like just a guy that, especially early in his career, he'd walk into a room and have to acknowledge everyone in the room. He would go and shake everyone's hand, oh, wow. and even towards the end, he would do that as well. It's something you almost never see. Again, personable, knew everybody's name, mm-hmm. always. I mean, he had such a great sense of humor, always yeah. telling jokes and could lighten lighten the the mood. Um, no, he he was a lot of fun. And somebody, I mean, I haven't seen him since since the trade. That is super weird that it's been that long. I mean, he was here, I guess, for game one against and, Orlando. And, and I didn't see him. That was a busy day yeah. uh, for, for me. Um, so I wasn't able to see him. And then they haven't been to Memphis, I don't think, right? They, they, play, they play Memphis home and home in end of March. Right, right, right. Um, but Memphis hasn't been here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's that, that's I, – I, I miss the big guy. Oh, yeah. He was a very lovable guy. Um, I guess we're just missing small forward and power forward. Obviously, Kawhi. I mean, what a pleasure to do. Oh, right. <laughs> he was so much better. He was so much better than than expected, I think, if for no other reason. Sure, you yeah, saw yeah. those, like, horror stories from San Antonio, uh, yeah. and you're just, like, afraid that he was going to be, like, a bad dude. Was, he mm. wasn't a bad dude. No, not He's at all. He's just a bit of a weird dude. Definitely a weirdo. But he was always respectful. Um he he answered questions like it's not I don't think he ever really dodged too much and even if he couldn't answer something he would sort of tell you why mm-hmm. um I, he, he was better than expected but no I don't think he mis- he makes this list we can talk about the uh, the worst 5 too I don't think he'd make Ooh, that list either that's that's uh, that's pretty good too actually um I I really like Damari Carroll. I know I'm sort of an, uh-huh. on an island in uh, Toronto when it comes like a nice to that. Guy. He just, it did not work out. It at all. didn't work out. Yeah. But also same sort of idea where like he was he was always really honest and upfront. Mm. Um, just a cool dude. Yeah. Um, the the resident fashionista would always be letting me know oh, yeah. uh, what he thought of my suits. Oh man, listen, your suit game is crazy. Even when stuff, he came okay. back, I was wearing the uh, the bright blue one when he you came- had it back then. No, no, no. This was uh, a few weeks ago when he came back with San oh, Antonio. Oh, okay. I see that. And he saw the yeah. suit. And he's like, I like this. He's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's bold for you. He's like, you're taking a risk, I but I appreciate it. That's probably what he goes to bed in, to be honest. <laughs> Demar, he, was, he had some fits when he was here. Um, the fur coat. I feel like yeah, there was a bunch hat, of fur coats. The, the he had hat. A hats, too. Yeah. Senior, senior swag daddy was that? Yeah, the you, know, you know, it's one moniker? thing. It, that was the moniker. Yeah, no, it's one thing if you're uh, if you're Serge Ibaka and you're doing it and you're an NBA champion and all that stuff. It's just it's just the reception is entirely different when you're Damari and he was in or he was heard and it was unfortunate. It wasn't necessarily the place for him, but um, he did have great outfits. I'm trying to think of uh, who the four would be, um, like Pascal is up there. He's also a guy that talks a lot. Not necessarily gives you the greatest quotes. 
Yeah, and I feel like with him it really depends on the day. And I feel like – I mean, no, there, there, are, there aren't many guys that like to do media, which is mm-hmm. fine. Like if I were them, I probably wouldn't right. want to do it either. But Pascal's one of those guys that like if it's not on the right day, if it's not on a day where like he's really kind of feeling cooperative, he'll kind of put up a, a fight. Um, whereas yeah. like with Fred, I'm sure he doesn't enjoy it all the time too, especially with uh, as much as he's bothered now that everybody knows he's a great quote. Yeah. But he'll, he's just such a pro that he'll always do it. So um, – I might be CJ Miles. That's a low key poll, but I feel like you CJ, put him at you put him at the four. You just uh, yeah. What about Danny Green? Can I we mean, put him at the four? Is Kevin Love on the other side? Danny Green and CJ Miles are oh towards the top of that list. Especially guys willing to talk. Yeah, yeah, and those guys. I mean, they they both want to be in media, and they both mm-hmm. probably yeah, will be in media. So they were really good. Patrick Patterson had his moments where he was he was interesting. Okay. Um, People swear by Ed Davis, who's a really nice guy, and I really okay. enjoy him when he's come back and I've talked to him. But I didn't, I, I missed, I think, at least his first year, maybe his second year, right. too. So I know, like, Eric Kareen's a big fan of uh, Ed Davis. Ed Davis, okay. Um, it's hard for me to think about an Ed Davis quote, but that's not really the question either. It's not who's the best quote. He gave me a great quote when I wrote the DeMar story before DeMar came back for the first time last yeah. year, and I wrote that story about his uh, kind of unique. Uh, connection, mutual connection with the mm-hmm. city of Toronto. Um, Ed gave me a really good quote about how, like he said, the moment that he realized it was the first time that he was a free agent, and and he told Demar, even I guess he was a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. He told Demar take meetings, talk to other teams, and Demar's like, no, no, no. Yeah, and that's when he's he's like, all right, yeah, I realize this is something special. Damn, yeah, that is true. There's not a lot of Raptor power forwards, I think. It's just there just haven't that been that many, you know what I mean? Unless you want to go with like, uh, yeah, I don't even know to be honest. Dude, you willed this into existence from what? Woj. Another team engaged with the Houston Rockets in trade talks for center Clint Capella. The Boston Celtics. Oh my god! Breaking news on this podcast. Oh, wow, there you go. See, I knew it before Woj. Clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's not surprising, I guess. No. I mean, that makes sense. Um, bottom five guys. I mean, Andrea Bargnani. How many times can we put him in there? <laughs> he played small forward and uh, started small forward in the playoff sure, game, yeah, so we yeah. can start. We can have him at small forward, power uh-huh. forward, and center on this team of the the worst, worst? five oh, players man. to deal with. Linus Kleza. Wow. Linus Kleza, huh? There aren't a lot of guys. Was I Linus Kleza a dickhead? He was bad. <laughs> oh, man. The team. Linus, like, man. Have some self-awareness, please. Dudes, the, 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 <sighs> like, people around the team hated dealing with him. We didn't have to do it as much. It's, like, yeah. it's not like Andrea Bargnani. Where I mean, like, I was going to say, how many times are you grabbing Linus Kleza right. for a quote? So too? that's why I say it, it wasn't as big of a deal to us. Mm-hmm. But hearing stories, like horror stories from people around the team mm-hmm. that had to deal with him on a daily basis, yeah. he was not great. We're, we're very you weren't there for Hito, were you? No, you weren't. No. Yeah, you you're, yeah, you were no, I'm, but I'm sure he would be featured heavily on this list as well. Um, we, we were very fortunate. We yeah. continue to be very fortunate in that we haven't had to deal with, like, you, you see things around the league with, like, DeMarcus Cousins oh, and yeah, yeah. Russell Westbrook, and we, we've never had that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Kyle can be difficult when he wants to be, but it's it's nothing I mean, like that. Yeah. Um, Rudy Gay wasn't great, mm-hmm. and that was sort of, I mean, that was just okay. a weird time. And I kind of yeah, feel bad. He joined mid season and yeah. then he got moved so quickly. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it, that that couldn't have been easy for him to deal with either. Sure. Um, but I mean, I didn't I didn't much enjoy that experience. So I guess for that reason, I'd put him on the list. Wow. Well, and then uh, I can't let you go without asking this question: uh, Does Eric Moreland make the top, the bottom <laughs> five team? There, it's a natural transition. Um, just because I think people don't know the full story, and you don't have to tell the full story. Yeah. Like, it's whatever. It's 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 past history, but it does get mentioned. And I a does it does it bother you that people mention it without knowing the full story? Uh, and then b like, you know, 
it was just a misunderstanding. It, That's it, it. The only thing that bothers me if people when people bring it up occasionally is like it's it's almost used. I feel like as like an insult or something. Like yeah. if, if somebody wants to take a shot, which is it, like it shouldn't be a shot because right. it's not – Basically, it was a. I mean, it, it was a misunderstanding. It was the, the first game of the playoffs last year, and I I was in the locker room before the game, and. Sort of the running joke all season had been the locker that previously belonged to DeMar DeRozan, which at yeah. first was left open, which was a nice gesture to begin the year. Yep. And then because they only had 14 guys on the roster, leaving one spot open, mm-hmm. tax reasons, um, they assigned the locker to Drake, which we yeah. didn't even I, I didn't even realize at the time because I'm not like I'm not a huge Drake guy. I didn't know yeah, that yeah. his nickname was the boy. So I'm looking <laughs> at the locker. I'm like, who is the boy? Sometimes <laughs> Ky- Kyle's uh, sons use that locker. A lot of the time we'll sit in there okay. waiting for for their their dad after the game. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, are they the boy? Who's yeah. the boy? And then somebody much cooler than me told me that it was Drake. Okay. Um, so that became like the running joke throughout the years. Like, why does Drake need a locker? It's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Dude's barely even in the Seriously, building, let alone in, like the, three in the locker games a year, room. Man. Um, so when, once they signed mm-hmm. Eric Moreland as the 15th guy, um, he, he got that locker. So I, I made a joke on Twitter. Never make jokes on Twitter. Yeah. That, there's, the, there's the lesson. Um, I made a joke on Twitter that um, the 15th, Guy, 15th man, Eric Moreland, um, has, gets, got Drake's has gotten Drake's locker. Yeah. Um, so he saw it almost immediately and was I mean, I, I, I don't need to get into details, but mm-hmm. w- was very upset. It, it was a misunderstanding. And, and I mean, you know, my part, it was when you're tweeting things like that, you don't necessarily consider, okay, well, what would Eric Moreland think if he saw this tweet? Because Eric Moreland, who, mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't in Toronto for the whole year. So while I know the running joke of the Drake locker, right, yeah, yeah. and you know it, and fans yeah. know it because it became a thing over the year, Eric Moreland doesn't know about the Drake locker. Yeah. So he saw the tweet, saw his name, saw 15th man, which I mean, I, I just, I didn't mean it as an insult. I meant it as like no, literally he was the 15th guy, 15th added. guy yeah. added to the team, which is why he got the, the only available locker. Um, so he, he had thought that the, that he was the butt of the joke, whereas the Drake no, locker it's, was it's, the butt of the, the joke. It's the ridiculousness of the fact that there's a locker called the boy that was dedicated to Drake for most of the year. So it, it was, it was a tweet that I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't mm. consider the, the how he would interpret it or how yeah. people might interpret it. That was my mistake. He didn't deal with it well, and he would admit that and has admitted that, um, and that was his mistake. So once, I mean, cooler heads prevailed yeah, once yeah. we sat down and talked about it, and we did. We talked about it. We both apologized for yeah, our yeah. part in the misunderstanding, and we were fine. I mean, I saw him the rest of the playoffs, mm-hmm. and and we'd say hello. Yeah. Um congratulating them after they won. Yeah. There, there was no issue there. But, I mean, the lesson personally, and this is something that I continue to learn and continue to yeah, yeah, yeah. continue to forget that I learned and then you relearn. You run into Twitter snafus more than uh, the average person on the beat almost. And I feel like it's, it's very unwarranted. I just feel bad. But, no, I mean, tw- Twitter's dangerous. Twitter's dangerous sure, because yeah. we, you get into this habit where you're like, I have this opinion. I have this thought, and everybody needs to know about it. Which, like, yeah, that's yeah. not the way it should be, and it's not no. the way it never used it ever used to be. Mm-hmm. But this is where we're at with social media now, that's and true. I'm as guilty of it as as anybody. Where yeah. you have these thoughts and you want to share it, but what one of the things that I'm trying to do now is I want to tweet less mm-hmm. and I want to write more, and I only say that because when I have those opinions and those yeah. thoughts sometimes they're okay sometimes they're 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 valid and they're interesting and people want to hear about them right but when you're writing you can provide full context into what it is that you're 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 trying to get out there mm-hmm. full context and, and 
Whereas with Twitter, you've got 280 characters and so much can get lost in translation, whether it's a joke, which a lot of time gets misinterpreted on on Twitter, um, or even if it's an opinion or a criticism about a player. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think that's sort of the lesson. I mean, that's something that I took from that Eric Moreland situation, something that I've taken a few times since then and try to remember that Twitter is a really great tool Mm -hmm. for a lot of things, especially in our business. Um, but it, it can also be, um, yeah, there's some costs to it. I, you know, I think honestly the lesson for everyone, I, just the whole situation, I guess is sort of just, I, I, just be a little bit less cynical about the people around the team like, or just, just be a little bit less cynical maybe in general. I, I think obviously there's a lot in life to be cynical about and I think some things are more nefarious than they are. When, when it comes to something like basketball reporting, like it's just not that serious. Like I, yeah. I think sometimes people see it. And then they interpret it in one way, and then they make, they form an opinion about someone they don't even know, they never really interacted with. Um, and I think this is kind of the situation that happened here, you know. And, and so, I mean, it's tough. And then I feel for I mean, if if we're getting it, if I'm getting it, like think how badly oh the actual God. players are getting yeah. it. I think someone revealed that Pat McCall yeah hits like on every single negative comment about him on Twitter. Yeah, he uh, he must have a, a lot of time on his yeah, hands. Yeah, he, he like I tweeted out uh, like a plus minus uh, stat of his. It wasn't even an opinion. I didn't even yeah, say yeah. anything. I just tweeted out the kind of plus minus that they had been outscored by whatever amount of points with him on the court mm-hmm. over like a two game stretch, <laughs> and he liked it. And I did think that. That actually came around the time that I was having like a a bit of a Twitter crisis, right, right, right. Um, and I, I did think and consider like that's you, you have to be careful on there. And I mean something like that. That's me doing my job, sharing a stat and even like an opinion is is also mm-hmm. me doing my job. But I do feel for somebody like Patrick McCaw, who I mean is getting a lot of negative yeah. feedback right now. And while I mean. A lot of it, if it's if it's in terms of basketball, I mean, even if you even if you don't like him as a player and you don't think he should be playing, like Nick Nurse likes him as a player. Nick yeah. Nurse is playing him. It's not Patrick McCaw's fault, so yeah, like, yeah. don't be sending Patrick McCaw all this all this stuff. And and there's been injuries too, you know. Like it, well, it's it's yeah. Speaking of Twitter, one of the things I hear most often on there. One of the questions I get is, why don't you guys ask ask Nick? Oh my god! Why yeah. you cowards? <laughs> We've asked him. This I've is not asked the him. White House media with President Trump and like real serious world issues, man. <laughs> We're talking about the seventh man, eighth man in the rotation. But like, it's also, I mean, these people need to pay more asked. attention. We've asked him yeah. several times, maybe not in those exact words, but it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what do you see in in Patrick McCaw? Why yeah. why is, is why did I ask him a few weeks ago when Terrence Davis only played whatever it was the eight minutes? Yeah, why? Yeah. Oh yeah, that was you. Yeah. Yeah. So we're asking those questions. At the end of the day, Nick thinks Nick likes him. Yeah, that's it. And that's the, we can ask the question a thousand times, and that's not going to change the fact that he likes the player. That's mm-hmm. his opinion. In the same way, I have mine, and you have yours, and we all yeah. have ours. So it's like, I mean, hey, I, I don't agree. Yeah. I don't agree. Like a lot of people of Nick's assessment of Patrick McCaw, mm-hmm. but. That's one of the few things I think that I disagree with that that Nick has done and is doing, and he sort of earned the benefit of the doubt to make those decisions, right? Yeah, I mean he's you know he's got a championship. He's the second winningest coach of all time. He's a rock coach, star. He's a rock star. He's uh, coaching the All Star game. He's coaching Giannis. And he's doing the tampering. Like you know, just uh, just maybe relax. It's not that big of a problem. Anyway, Josh, thank you. You've been so generous with your time. Um, I don't know what you really need to plug, but uh, anything you want to. Bring awareness on, you know, read Josh's primer on the Raptors approach to trade deadline. Uh, anything else? No, man. At JLU1050, send me all of your Eric Moreland tweets. Oh, man. Yeah, no I, more and, of those. And, Come and, on. And, we set the record straight, And right? Patrick McCaw tweets. 
Jeez, yeah. Yeah, no, we we should send Josh more of his uh, screen caps of his uh, suits. The suit game is elite. I got to say, there's a lot of great suits when you work in media. But Shout out Indochino. Um, that's where you're getting the plug? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, I, I thought you were going to say that as a shout out, to be honest. Because... No, I mean, even from, like, training camp, it was, like, on another level with you. Now I feel guilty whenever I show up in, like, my... You had, like, four outfits for just training camp. That was amazing. Like, I I got five new suits for this season. I had to step it up for the uh, the defending championship season. Sure, yeah. Um, And now I feel guilty whenever I show up in my old boring suits because people expect the new new exciting ones. I was going to say, yeah, you did not have your A game for uh, uh, this recent game. Who will they play again? What do they? What do they just play? This one, this is the thing with the eleven game win streak. Some of Chicago. These teams, oh, Chicago. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Sunday. All these. Chicago. All these games blend into one. Even last year, man. Mm-hmm. Like with the championship being what it was. It's like I remember the big moments, but for the most part, all, the rest of it is just sort of a blur. It's all a blur. So, anyway, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, as for listeners of the podcast, please please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, thanks again to KFC for sponsoring the show, and uh, I'll be back next week with another episode. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.